good, yes, good to be in the house of the Lord. We've been studying in the book of James, and uh, you, you know, James is the practical, it's the how-to manual for the Christian. And we've been heretofore studying up through chapter 3. Last week we talked about wisdom. This week we're going to talk about something that um, is often misunderstood. James chapter 4 basically deals with the concept of humility. Now, many people think of humility as like a dog, you know, running around with its head down and its tail between its legs and kind of... And, and you know, in some sense, it's not wrong. Because what the dog does when it puts its tail between its legs and puts its head down is it's saying, I am in the presence of someone else who is higher than I. But we need to understand that the concept of humility, as is explained in Scripture, is not about cowering in the presence of man, but rather humbling ourselves, bowing in the presence of God. Now, uh, the term humility carries with it also the connotation of low to the ground. But it, it's the way that it's low to the ground is equally low to the ground. So if you think about this, if any of us think of ourselves higher than another person, you know, you, you understand the Asian tradition of the one who is the most exalted bows the least, and the one who is the most subservient bows the most, and the real servants get down on their knees on the floor and they touch their faces to the floor. We live in a society that in the presence of the Almighty God, all of us need to be on our faces on the floor. And if all of us are on the, our faces on the floor in the presence of the king, guess what happens when you look out over the group? All equal. Nobody's popped up higher than anybody else. Because in our, in our submission to the Father, we also are in submission to one another, equally in submission. Because he is in control. So here's the title today, How to Live by Faith in Humility, in that reverence, in that posture of submission. What does that look like? I'm going to flip it backwards. Normally, I deal with the verses, and then I give you the points that I'm going to talk about from those verses. Today, I'm going to give you the main point, and then I'm going to take each verse, verse by verse, and walk through it. Okay? So here's the first point. Consider the direction of your affection. By that I mean, what is it that you are focused upon in your life? What is it that you are embracing? Where is your treasure? You remember what Jesus said? Where a man's heart is, 
there his treasure will be is also. Where is your heart? I'll bring it back around here in just a minute. If our affections are upon ourselves, if our affections are upon the world, if our affections are limited to our families, if our affections are limited to a select group of people, if our affections are predominantly American, you say, now hold on, Pastor. God bless the USA. Yeah and God bless India, and God bless Germany, and God bless the Ukraine, and God bless Russia, and God bless Uzbekistan, and God bless Africa. You see what I'm getting to? When we look at ourselves higher than we ought to look at ourselves in reference to anything, whether it's race, sex, culture, Nationality, language. You're getting this. Don't stand around and look at yourself and say, Bless God, I'm bleh. Whatever bleh is in your life. Bless God, I'm from Kentucky. Right? And I are. But the issue is, there is nothing better about Kentucky than there is about any other state. It may be different in some respects. And in some respects, I have things about Kentucky that I'm like, ooh, wish they'd change that. You know? The image. I wish they'd change that a little bit. There are some things that I'm tremendously proud of. There are some things that my state is noted for, and it's okay to have those things and say, that's good. But when we look at ourselves exclusively better than someone else, we run into trouble. What is the direction of your affection? Is it towards someone or something in this world or of this world, or is it toward your heavenly Father? Here's what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Oh, you say, we don't have fights and quarrels in this church. By the way, folks, do, do you know that when he write, James writing this, this epistle, and it's not an epistle to any one specific church. It is a general epistle that is to get to all of the churches. And so this epistle is addressing the gamut of humanity that lives within churches. Do you know there are people who come to our churches who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they come Sunday after Sunday? Something about that body draws them and there's, many of them are looking for a solution to that. We have people who come here who have at one point confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and are no more walking after Him than they are doing the right thing in the rest of their world. We have people who come here who have said, yes, I would ask Jesus to save me from my sins, but I want to control my own life. I don't want Him to be in control. I don't want to submit myself to Him so that He can have permission to be in me and through me what He wants to be. 
We have some people in here who know what it is to walk the right way, who are in their hearts rebelling as hard against God as they can, and they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not listening. Na, 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 na. Right? And I'm I'm not judging you. I'm not sitting out here and saying, oh, you're that, you're that, you're that. I'm just telling you that this is the nature of the church. And some of you, if the truth were known about your attitude and your actions, the people sitting beside you would go, (gasps) and others of you think the world would go, (gasps) but they probably go, been there, done that, bought that t-shirt, you're not saying anything out of question for me. I understand. So he said, what causes these fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desire or desires that battle inside of you from within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. How many of you have ever killed? Okay. Let me ask it another way. Y'all ready? How many of you have ever destroyed another person's character with your words? You don't have to raise your hand. You see, there's more than one way to kill somebody. The nastiness that rises up within you when you are consumed with your own desires and that person in front of you represents something you don't like and so you attack them. And they're crushed. And you walk away having murdered, not with your hands, but with your mind and your heart. Some of you have such hatred and anxiety about someone who has done you wrong that you say, I hope they get theirs. Some of you are praying like David did. Avenge me, Lord. Kill them. Take care of them. Trip them up. Destroy them. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from within. The problems you have in life don't come from outside. Revelation, right? I didn't know that. I I thought all my problems were other people's fault. You know, if I only had this, if I only did, if they only, if they only knew, if if only. Uh Uh-uh. Not just your biggest problem was you. The center of all of your problems is you. where your desire comes from. You covet. You want something. I want what they got. I got to have it. 
And you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel, you fight. You do not have, not because you haven't been able to quarrel effectively with those folks, you don't have what you need because you haven't asked God. You know sometimes why we don't ask our Father? Because we know what we're asking for is totally selfish. And we're embarrassed to go to him and ask for it. But dad, I need a new phone. My phone just isn't like everybody else's phone. You see, I, I just got this dumb phone. It's only got like 10 digits on it and an asterisk and a pound sign. I can't even make smiley faces on my phone. And you know, it's kind of frivolous and funny, but the reality is sometimes we don't ask God because we know the stuff we're asking Him is dumb. And we shouldn't be pouting and complaining and frustrating and, and nagging about that kind of stuff. <coughs> Leave it alone. Drop it. But others of us don't ask God because we don't have confidence that He loves us enough to give us what we really need. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You wouldn't believe how many people have come to me and said, Pastor, you know, I really do want to make a whole bunch of money so I can give a whole bunch of money. And, and I look at them and I think to myself, why aren't you giving what you're supposed to be giving now? You want God to give you more? And you're not taking care of the things you're supposed to be taking care of now. And you're going to ask God to give you something that you don't deserve because you haven't been faithful in the few things He's given you. And yet you can say, okay, God, you can trust me with that $37 million. Maybe, maybe you haven't been faithful with your $37. So why should he give you 370 or 3700 or 370,000 or 3,700,000? Do you see? We ask with the wrong motive. I want to do it to make my life easier. I want to do this so that I can spend what I get on my own pleasures. I really don't care. about the things that I'm pretending to care about. Folks, I didn't write this. James did. I want to tell you something. Jesus talks about the parables, and he said to those who had a little and responded by giving back, making more, investing that in the right thing for him, 
He said, you've been faithful in a few things. I'll give you more things to be faithful in. We ask with the wrong motives. We ask because we want it for us. I'm not saying that it is wrong to plan. I'm not saying that it is wrong to save. I am not saying that James says it's wrong to have stuff. It's just that in our own selfishness, in our own hearts, we begin to covet, we begin to put ourselves in a situation where we're not satisfied with what God has given us and we start asking Him for more, not because we want Him to be glorified in that, but because we refuse to live on less than somebody else is living on. i got to go. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Direction of affection. If I'm friends with the world, automatically I am anti-God. Right? And vice versa. When I am pro-God, it makes me anti-world. Now I'm not saying it makes me anti-God connected with the people in the world. We're talking about those carnal affections. When I am connected with God, I don't want the things that this world has. We were sitting, <clears throat> I guess it was in the living room of my mom and dad's, and they had turned the news on, and some lady in Kentucky had won $280 million or something or she'd been through Kentucky or something and done it. and So they were you know, talking and, and Bobby Joe piped up immediately and she said, I wouldn't want anything to do with $280 million. Wouldn't want anything to do with it. You know why? Because I wouldn't know where to put it to make the best impact for the kingdom of God. And I know that everybody and their uncle would be coming to me say, give me this, give me that, give me the other, give me the other, give me this, give me that. And I don't even want it. Let God work it out another way. And I agreed with her. I know there are all kinds of people say, boy, you can imagine what I could do with two $280 million. Yeah, I probably can imagine some things that you would do with $280 million. But the imaginations that I have right now go toward this thing that he's talking about, this friendship with the world where everything revolves around you. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy with God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He is jealous for me? He jealously longs for the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us. Hold on, Ted. Just stay right there for just a minute. Let me tell you what that means. God has given us what He wants back. How easy is that? 
I mean, God has given, God has taken out of his treasury the stuff that he wants us to have, and he's given it to us, and now he's saying, to please me, just give it back. We don't even have to do anything in our own strength. Duh. This is craziness. What do you mean? He has placed within us his spirit, and he jealously longs for that same spirit he has placed within us to connect with him. But the problem is, most of us, you remember that little second grade thing where they said when they were passing out brains, I thought they said trains. And I said, I don't want one, right? When God is passing out the Spirit, we don't have a clue of what that Spirit filling can do in our lives. And so often we reject that and say, no, I really, I'm okay with controlling my own world. I'd really like to do things myself. And the thing that God desires most from us is the return of that same spirit that he has placed within us, that love, that joy, that gentleness, that meekness, that self-control, that patience, that kindness. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Number two, there is power in the posture of your heart. Ponder what your heart is doing in the presence of God. Let's look at what it says. He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. In other words, those in God's presence who are on their face before the king are going to get more of an outpouring from him than those who are standing up saying, give me, give me, give me, give me. what he's saying. God gives more grace to us. Grace is the thing that has transformed our lives. We don't have the ability to do anything, have not had the ability to do anything, will never have the ability to do anything except through the grace that he has placed in our lives. Therefore, he says to us, submit yourself. Ronald Reagan said in 1964, And he was talking negatively about the relationship with the Soviet Union at the time. He said, to have peace, we only need to do one thing. Surrender. Now flip-flop that spiritually. To have peace, we only need to do one thing. Surrender. Submit ourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you see that's where the power comes from it's not us we just have to say no you know I've been gone to Kentucky and, and every meal I've had They've decided to to 
multiply my weight by the number of carbs that they thought would double my weight and then give me that for lunch. And I, I love them and they're, they're great people and they're my family and that's the way they eat and I just <sighs> have eaten way too much. But you know what? I didn't resist too much. Huh? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I knew what was best for me. Matter of fact, I didn't just not resist. I got into rolling my sleeves up and making homemade chicken and dumplings or noodles. And they were good. I hadn't made a batch in forever, and I made like three batches. Said twelve cups, twelve eggs, and six cups of flour, and you know it was a good big, big chunk of food. You see, I could have chosen to eat the right thing. I could have chosen to do the right thing, but I decided in those moments. You know what? The taste of this outweighs my desire to keep a pound off or to lose a pound or to not gain a pound. We have nobody to blame for our indulgences but ourselves. Now, I will grant you this. When you are in an addictive cycle, you cannot break it in your own strength. But if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. If you submit to God and allow God to rule in you, he will give you deliverance over whatever it is that you're facing. And I have some people in here today who can testify to that and say, Amen. Because you've seen it happen in your own world. Then he says, Draw near, come near to God, and He will come near to you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Sure you do. I mean, even with your wife, you just scoot over a little bit toward her. Guess what happened? She scoots over next to you. If you show just a little bit of, I'm going to come close to you. I'm going, and if that person loves you, they, they generally respond by drawing near to you. Now, everybody has a different way of doing it, but to draw near. If you just make a step towards someone, you can find that person respond back. And guess what? God is the greatest lover of them all. And when we draw near to God, God just... He just loves to just envelop us in his big old teddy bear arms. Just hold us close. Say, I got you. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. You're mine. Then he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, that's interesting. He says, heart and mind as if they're the same thing. If you let your mind sit somewhere, that's what your heart's going to dwell on. It's what your heart's going to embrace. 
you take yourself to places you're not supposed to go in your mind, whether it's hatred, whether it's envy, whether it's sexuality, whether it's addiction, it doesn't matter where your brain goes, there your heart's going to go dwell. And so he tells them the first step is wash your hands. This is the action part. Stop doing the things you're doing. Make yourself clean. Get out of the mess. You will run out of chicken and dumplings or chicken and noodles when you stop making them. As long as you keep making them, there's always going to be chicken and dumplings to eat. Stop it. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. And then he says something that most of us have a hard time grasping. He says, grieve Mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he talking about? He's talking about those folks who are out there focused on the things that please for the moment. They're out there focused on the things that make them laugh. They're out there focusing on the things that distract their minds from the true intent of what God desires to do in their lives. And he says to them, change your attitude about the stuff that's going on in your life, about this sin that is destroying you. Change your mind. Start to grieve. Start to mourn. Start to wail. Start to put yourself in a position where laughter ceases and the joy becomes mourning. And then humble yourself before your God, before the Lord, and He will lift you up. It's a great place to be. Ted, keep going this morning. Remember that the lawgiver will be the judge. Both brothers and sisters. Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and he judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Some of us find it easy to look around the corner from the wall we're standing behind and criticize. I was with a group of people the other day and uh, we were watching a program, and somebody said something about, oh my goodness, she's gotten as big as a barrel. And a few minutes later, here comes somebody else. Ooh, they've gained some weight. A few minutes later, and I looked back and said, big as a barrel? And they stopped. And I said, are we the pot? 
calling the kettle black? That's just a little illustration. But the attitude that we take toward other people is to knit, pick, pull, poke, prod, find the negatives that are going on in their lives and just tear it up. And yet we're sticking up with the big old two before in our own eye while we're trying to take that little splinter out of there. Remember, there's only one who's that capable of judging. And he is the one who can save or destroy. And guess what? It's not our choice which one he does. It's his. And then the fourth thing that this passage deals with is live like you're dying. You know, Tim McGraw wrote that song. He's a country music singer, writer. And, and he wrote it when he found out something. He found out that his dad had been a professional baseball player. Pretty successful one. And when his dad uh, had played for a couple of teams and when his dad realized that he was dying, he quit baseball and began to connect with his family and began to give back into the world in which he lived. And it changed his lifestyle of living so much that Tim was impressed. He found out only after he started researching this and realized that that was his dad. And he wrote the song, Live Like You're Dying. Sometimes we walk around life without true purpose. What, what would you do if I said to you, Hey, we're going to go to the mall. And I'm going to provide each one of you with a credit card that is up to $2 million. You can spend that on you, not anybody else, just you. And we get to the mall, and I tell you, here's what's going to go on. I'm going to start the clock. You have one hour from the time I click this button. At the conclusion of that hour, the card will no longer work. Right? Now go. What would you do? Saunter over to the food court? See if they've got anything out there that you might want to taste? You know, that little free lady with the free tray, like, do you want some of my food? Hey, chico, quieres tacos? Hey, boy, try our hot dogs over here. Right? Would you be in the food court doing that? Or would you go into one of the stores there that's in the mall and go to their big TV and, and grab the video game and start playing the video game? Would you just kind of saunter through, I don't know, maybe something that you have absolutely no interest in? Maybe you're a woman and, and you're in Sears and, and you decide, well, I think I'll just go walk through tools, right? I don't want to buy any. I just think I'll go look and see how shiny they are. You wouldn't do that, would you? What would you do? 
If you had 59 minutes to go get your stuff or 60 minutes to go get your stuff, you'd probably stop for just a minute and say, okay, what are the stores in here that I want to do? Okay, this, 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 and this. And it's going to take me about 40 minutes to get around here, and I need to be quick. And you probably walk into a store that you really liked, one of those specialty shops, and you'd say, I'd like one of everything in a size bleh. Right? In order to get the full effect of that $2 million credit card, you would go and um, you would be on a mission. Do you realize that our Heavenly Father has given you a life and He's given you a time period that it's going to be finished? You don't know what that time period is, but you have to live like you died. You have to live with purpose. If you only had 60 days to live, what would you dif do differently tomorrow than you did yesterday? If you only had six days to live, what would those six days look like? I don't know how long you have to live, but I do know that all of us are dying. It is the reality of life that from the very first day we took breath, we started to die. Now listen, he says, Today or tomorrow, you don't say, we'll go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on our business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for just a little while and then poof, it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this. As it is, you boast about your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Hmm. What am I saying to you this morning? Very simply this. It is possible to live in an attitude of total submission and humility to the Father. It is not possible in my strength. It is possible through the grace that he has given to me. And he said to me, if I need more, I just need to ask him for more and he'll give me more grace. It is by faith in Jesus Christ that not of itself but through the grace He has given me that I can respond back to Him. But the truth of the matter is I am no longer my own. I am bought by a price. I belong to God and every moment of every day of my life now should be a reflection of Him living in me. So this week, as you leave this place, take stock in what the direction of your affection happens to be. Ponder. Huh. Dwell on the posture of your being. 
Remember that there is but one person you need to be accountable to in all of the universe. It is the one who gave the law. It is the one who will judge you by the law. And remember, I'm not talking about those 600 plus negatives and the 365 positives. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about he will judge you by the law of love. And then when you process all of those things in your mind and you consider them, I would challenge you to go this week and live like you're dying. Father, this has been a fantastic week. You have spoken, you have worked, you have done your thing, and, and perhaps in body, some of us are tired, perhaps some of us in mind are looking in other directions, and perhaps we have been fragmented until we came into this place this morning. But I pray that you will take the word that you have shared with us and allow us to focus our minds and our hearts and our spirits toward the truth that you want to place within us that you defeat any part of the enemy in letting that seed fall to our heart's soil and spring up into life. I pray that you would help us to live this week as if we are dying with the understanding that only what we do for Christ will last. Now, Lord, let us be your vessels. Be pleased with what we offer back to you. For that we offer back came from you in the first place. Let your spirit reign in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.